audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Welcome to On The Rock, God's unchanging word for changing times with Dr. Camille Majdali, Director of Teach All Nations Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as a principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On The Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. It's not the most wonderful part of the gospel by far, but it's still part of the Word of God. In today's program, we're going to learn what happens between Herod and John the Baptist. Our series is called The Kingly Messiah, Understanding the Gospel of Matthew, Part 1, a verse-by-verse audio commentary, part of the larger Understanding the Bible series. We are nearly halfway through the Gospel of Matthew. We're beginning Matthew chapter 14, and this chapter will be the last chapter of this series because it's Part 1. In Part 2 of the Gospel of Matthew, we will commence with Chapter 15, all the way to chapter 28. It's just that this is an amazingly rich gospel. Not only is it lengthy, but it's replete with references to Bible prophecy, and for good reason. Matthew is trying to appeal to his own Jewish people of his day, and of course to all people for all time, that this man the world knew as Jesus of Nazareth is the promised Messiah, the coming King the one that will sit on his father David's throne forever. And this son of David, this Messiah, this king, this Christ, is also simultaneously, concurrently, the son of God. This is what Matthew is trying to show. And now as we begin chapter 14 of the Gospel of Matthew, we also need to see that this chapter is called Calming the Storm. Because the ministry of Jesus is very much attacking enemy territory. The kingdom of heaven, which he so wonderfully preached and demonstrated with signs and wonders, was taking territory off the devil. Because the scripture teaches us the devil is the prince and the god of this world. He has basically taken over. He's hijacked things ever since the fall. And Jesus by his incarnation, basically parachuted behind enemy lines to bring the good news of the coming kingdom, because make no mistake about it, it will come. We pray this every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. Jesus' first visit was the down payment of things to come. Visitations by the Holy Spirit throughout church history reconfirm and continue to affirm that Jesus is the king, that Jesus is coming back, that Jesus is going to rule over a kingdom that will have no end. The devil knows it, and any way he can, he'll cause trouble. One way that he caused trouble, and he did it really well, was to wreak havoc in the ministry of John the Baptist. Not that he actually diminished John's ministry, but that he brought it to an abrupt halt by the use of Herod the Tetrarch. This is Herod Antipas, the one ruling over Galilee. He's not Herod the Great, who ruled over the whole country, who was the Roman-appointed king of the Jews, who built the temple at Jerusalem and other major works across the land. No, this man only had jurisdiction in Galilee. So he built Sephorus, and he built Tiberius, 
and Sepphoris may have actually been his capital, but as far as we know, Jesus did not visit either place. Anything to do with Herod, he seemed to stay clear of. He didn't visit Sepphoris. He didn't visit Tiberius, to our knowledge. So now this Herod is going to cause trouble because he's in hot water with his wife, who he really shouldn't even be married to in the first place, as we will discover. So let me read to you from verse 1 of Matthew chapter 14. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, This John the Baptist, he is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. All right? Because it says, For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. Now, the whole segment, it will be chapter 14, verses 1 to 12. But basically, Herod is hearing about Jesus, but he's confusing him with John the Baptist. Isn't it amazing? This is his most famous citizen in Galilee, and he doesn't know anything about him. John was arrested because he shone light on the fact that Herod's union with Herodias was unlawful. Herod arrested him and would have killed him, but he was afraid of the multitude. But yet on his birthday, he gave a foolish oath to his stepdaughter, Salome. She danced the dance of seven veils, and she, prompted by her mother, asked for the head of John the Baptist on a platter, and she got it. And John was buried. This terrible end to John will serve a purpose as all things in God. Let's find out. I want to read to you now from the whole section, Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 to 12. Our reading is about the execution of John the Baptist, and again, the reference is Matthew 14, verses 1 to 12. Let's listen to the word of the Lord. At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus, and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. For Herod had laid hold on John, and bound him, and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. And when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being before instructed of her mother, said, Give me here John the Baptist's head in a charger. And the king was sorry, nevertheless for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it be given her. And he sent and beheaded John in the prison. And his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Our reading is from Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 to 12. And our lesson here is called The Execution of John the Baptist. Not a nice story, but it's part of God's word and it's there for a reason. Because remember, in the Gospel of John itself, Jesus is spoken of by John, where John says that I must decrease, and he, 
that means Jesus, the coming Messiah, must increase. In that one sense, the death of John means a couple of things here. First of all, it is that diminishing of John, at least as far as the world is concerned. But amazingly, Jesus pays John among the most highest tributes you can imagine. And not only is John getting tributes from Jesus on earth, he's getting a royal welcome in heaven. And so his ministry was finished. Jesus is now taken over. The baton was passed on. This is what happened. Now, did it have to happen this way? Probably not. But this is how it occurred. And why does God allow his servants to suffer this way? That is the million-dollar question. But I would say that neither John nor Jesus, who both suffered terrible, unjust death, would not be complaining at all, apart from the fact that they will also be in God's presence immediately. They trusted God no matter what, and we should as well. So we begin with Herod and Jesus. And as I explained earlier, this is not the Herod who built the temple or tried to slay the young Jesus. This is Antipas. He ruled Galilee only as a tetrarch, not as a king, and certainly not king of Israel. He had heard of Jesus' fame. Did he realize that Jesus was legally under his jurisdiction? It doesn't say. Either option is possible. He knew or he didn't know that this was one of his subjects. But what we know is this. In verse 2 of Matthew 14, the calming of the storm chapter, Herod was convinced that Jesus was John the Baptist, risen from the dead. That's why he's doing mighty works. Now, this is rather interesting, because again, we learn something about John the Baptist in the Gospel of John, and of course, (laughs) this is John the disciple, not John the Baptist. And in John chapter 10, verse 41, it actually says, quote, John did no miracle. I think John's ministry was remarkable because he attracted crowds from all over the place. They came to the Jordan River, which was not an easy journey. You have to go down into the Rift Valley. And when you want to go home, you have to ascend steep hills and mountains and the rest. But they came. And he didn't even do any miracles. He didn't feed multitudes. He didn't heal the sick. He didn't cast out devils. He didn't raise the dead. And yet they came. All kinds of people came. Even people like Pharisees and Sadducees came. But they came more to investigate, not to submit to the ministry. So John was remarkable that he attracted the crowds and they were willing to go into the Jordan River and be baptized for repentance and remission of sins. So he did no miracle, and he didn't attract the way Jesus did. But now Herod is convinced John is doing mighty work. Well, it's the person he's confusing as John that's doing mighty works. John didn't do any. John, in that sense, is very much the last of the Old Testament-style prophets, even though he's written of in the New. We learn in verse 3 of Matthew 14 why John was arrested. We need to go back into the history because Herod arrested, bound, and imprisoned John, not because he had committed any crime. He was a very godly, righteous, law-abiding citizen. No, he did this for vengeful purposes, to pacify his wife Herodias, who happened to also be his former sister-in-law, who he married. It is a not a very nice thing. And John pointed this out to Herod, saying, look, buddy, 
it's not lawful for you to have her, he probably unwisely told Herodias, she flies the handle, and to pacify her, he has John arrested. There is a phrase that if you want a happy life, you need to have a happy wife. You need to keep her happy, because if she's not happy, then nobody is happy in the household. And so Herod knew where his bread was buttered, and he decided that it was better to please Herodias. And as you're going to see, he's also going to think it's better to please the people who would come to his banquet rather than to please God. People pleasers do not have the fear of God, but people who have the fear of God please God and even make their enemies at peace with them. That's what it tells us in Scripture. So John is arrested because he called Herod's union with Herodias unlawful. One thing you can say for John, he did not lack in boldness. To tell Herod such a thing, and knowing how paranoid and petty and vindictive the Herodian dynasty was, yeah, he was putting his head in the lion's mouth. Now, Herodias, wife of Antipas, had been married to Herod Philip, and they had a daughter called Salome. Now, Antipas, that's the Tetrarch of Galilee, apparently, now I'm getting this from Josephus, not from the Bible. Josephus is a first century Jewish historian whose writings we still have today, and he is invaluable for background information about Old and even New Testament things. So according to Josephus, Antipas was married to the daughter of Aretas, king of Arabia, Petraea. If you ever think of the place called Petra and the iconic treasury, which is the first thing you see when you go through or come to the end of the seek, is the treasury. It is magnificent. We believe that treasury is actually supposed to be Aretas' burial chamber and not some kind of vault with all kinds of treasures. So according to Josephus Flavius in Antiquities, and that's in book number 18, chapter 7, Aretas was so incensed that Antipas wanted to divorce his daughter that he sent his army north and defeated him. Now, this didn't do a thing for preserving the marriage, but at least it made Aretas feel better that he had decked his erstwhile son-in-law. Now, Herod feared the multitude. Remember, he's going to fear Herodias, he's going to fear the multitude, and he's going to fear the people that sat at meat with him. He wanted to execute John, but because of the fear of man, he did not. And then was his birthday party. Do you know, there's only two birthday parties, and for that matter, two birthdays in all of Scripture, and both of them end up having someone killed. For example, at after Pharaoh's birthday party, the baker in the days of Joseph was executed. And also, Herod has a birthday party, and it's going to lead to John the Baptist's execution. And with his stepdaughter Salome dancing the seven veils, she pleased Herod very well. So in verse 7, Herod made a foolish oath. Perhaps having one drink too many, a very, very pleased Herod told Salome that she could have whatever she wanted, and she asked for the head of John the Baptist. What a gruesome kind of thing to do. Even if it's a righteous head, it's still horrible. Verse 8 of Matthew 14, having been prompted by her mother Herodias, this was what she wanted. Not just his head, but on a platter. Herod gives what I call reluctant compliance. In verse 9, when he heard that Salome wanted John the Baptist he was very sad 
but because he made an oath in front of all his party guests. Therefore, in order to save his Herodian face, he dare not reject her. Three fears we've got. I said it before, I'll say it again. Herod erred greatly. He feared Herodias. He feared the crowd. He feared the people sitting at meat. Now, mind you, the fear of the crowd preserved John's life a little bit longer. Having said that, he commanded that John be executed immediately. But if you know anything about the house of Herod and their depravity, none of this should be surprising. They simply went from low to lower. So in Matthew 14, verse 10, John is immediately executed, beheaded. His death would be a further indictment against the house of Herod. And in verse 11, it says that John's head was brought on a platter and given to young Salome. She in turn gave it to her mother Herodias. What Herodias did with it is unknown. So just remember, if Herodias, as may be implied in Josephus, although I don't have a reference here, was not just the stepdaughter, or actually not just stepdaughter, niece of the Herods, not just the daughter-in-law or sister-in-law, but the niece, that means Antipas is both an adulterer and incestuous. Their morbid entertainment shows that their consciences were beyond redemption. And the fact that this woman would want a macabre gift like somebody's head tells us they are beyond it all. Burial of John the Baptist, the disciples of John came, took his body, gave him a proper burial. Tradition has John imprisoned and executed at a place called Machiris, Herod's palace east of the Dead Sea. Now, it's either in Moab or Edom. John may have been buried nearby or taken back to Judea, which would have been a long journey. In any case, after the burial, the disciples of John came and they informed Jesus. Well, our lesson here is called the execution of John the Baptist. And our lesson for life is many a righteous person has faced a martyr's death. What it actually means is the reward is even greater. Remember to visit us at our Facebook page, Teach All Nations Education, and thank you for liking our page. You can also go to our homepage to subscribe to the free monthly Issachar Teaching e-letter, bringing future-ready advice to your inbox with articles about the Bible, victorious living, and current events in the light of God's Word. We have some very wonderful articles for you, both from myself and others. You don't want to miss it. Let's pray. Father, despite this rather sad part of the Gospel of Matthew, we know it's your word. It's there for a reason. John, of course, is with you and your presence and has been for a long time. His reward is very, very great. He actually is the forerunner of the Jesus. But we ask that God, from all this, give us a mature spiritual perspective and help make us diligent to be bold, because the righteous are bold as a lion, as Proverbs 28.1 says, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Today's On The Rock was brought to you by Teach All Nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, to download podcasts, view our online store, attend special events, sign up for our teaching newsletter, make a donation to support this ministry, or to invite Dr. Camille to speak, log on to www.tan.org.au or write to us at Post Office Box 493, Mount Waverley 3149. 
for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.